you would please turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians as we continue our study in the book of Ephesians. I was uh, thinking of the text where Peter is defending Scripture, and he says that the... um, some scriptures are hard to understand as the rest of the writings, as the writings of Paul, that they're both hard to understand. I think I found the text Peter had in mind uh, this morning with the things we're going to be looking at in Ephesians and the second chapter. I would ask you to stand as I read this morning from the book of Ephesians. <clears throat> I'm going to read down through verse 10 of Ephesians, the second chapter. Let's hear the word of the Lord. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were thereby nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us in with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show his immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Please be seated. Let's go to prayer. Please pray for me as I preach this text. Pray for yourselves as you sit on the proclamation of God's word this morning, that you won't be drifting off here and there. I won't say something heretical. It'll be true to the scriptures, and God will bless it to us. Let's pray. God and Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to see our desperate need to grow in the knowledge and grace of Christ, that we would not, O oh God, take for granted. We would not, Heavenly Father, be content with where we are in our pilgrimage, but that we might be like the deer that longs for the water brook, longing for you, O oh God, may that be where our hearts and minds are. We pray that you would be with us this morning, be with me as I preach this text, be with your people as they hear it, that it might be beneficial, that Christ might be exalted and lifted up, that it might be, O God, that we grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. We also pray that if any are here outside of faith, that you would grant repentance. And here, O God, that are lost and caught up into lawlessness, grant, O God, again, repentance. May the light of Christ shine upon us, our Lord, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. When somebody achieves the impossible, they accomplish a task otherwise thought to be unattainable. I'll give you an example. I heard this this past week. There was a 12-year-old boy that decided he wants a gift out of one of those machines. You put the money in, you do the handles, and the claw picks up something and drops it out. He was going to steal something out of the machine. He ended up getting caught in the machine. How he did that, I have no earthly idea, but he couldn't get out. He's not a, it was a 13-year-old boy. He's not a little child. I've seen little children get it. But this was a 13-year-old boy that got caught in one of those machines. They had to come rescue him. 
And they said he couldn't come back to the park for one year. An amazing thing to see that little boy sitting inside that machine. And uh uh-oh, what am I going to do now? Well, they had to take it apart and let him out. Or again, a child is born and the child has a brain bleed. And the parents are told by the doctor he'll never read, he'll never walk, he will not talk, he will not do so many of the things that you take for granted that children are going to do. And over time, recognizes that God is gracious and he does walk and he does talk. And he does things that they said otherwise would never be accomplished by him. Again, something that is accomplished that people thought was absolutely never going to take place. And we hear things like that often, do we not? Well, in the text this morning, there is something that not simply is not close to impossible, nearly impossible. It is absolutely impossible what Paul deals with here in the text, and that is this, that a people who otherwise have no hope, who otherwise will spend eternity in hell, and listen to this, there is a hell, and people are going to be there. Sweetness, kindness is not a guarantee of anyone being saved. There are pagans, unfortunately, who are kinder than Christians. There are pagans who are more courteous than Christians, but that does not mean they're converted. It does not mean they're saved. Because if they're outside of faith in Christ, they are living under God's wrath and condemnation, and they are bound for hell. That's not my opinion. That's what the Scripture teaches us. And we have to give ear to it, and we have to abide by what the Word of God says. Well, here in the text this morning, as Paul continues to go through these great doctrines, we again learn that apart from God's grace, the impossible would never happen. And that is, or the possible would never happen apart from God's grace. And that is, how can people who are unregenerate, how can people who are God's enemies by nature have a saving relationship with him. There's nothing they can do. Last week, this was the outline that I used, the unregenerate man dead, the unregenerate man doomed, and the unregenerate man delivered. Well, this morning, as we go through these other verses, we see that because God has a secured eternal salvation for his people through the Lord Jesus Christ, they can rest assured that God is going to save them to the utmost. Save them. And bring them to completion in the fullness of their redemption that Christ has accomplished. Again, three points this morning. Don't look at that clock back there. It doesn't mean a thing. Enjoy the proclamation of the word. Three things this morning. The believer's salvation is a salvation of grace. It is a salvation of victory. It is a salvation of certainty. And the first thing, then, the believer's salvation is a salvation of grace. Last week we saw that the race of man is spiritually dead. We are not simply a mess. We are, in fact, dead spiritually. Now, some think that man is in a natural state, a neutral state spiritually. That is, uh, he is neither given to God or given to coming away from God, that he is in a state of neutrality concerning his mindset toward God and toward true religion. He is neither for or against. He's simply coasting along in life. Well, that simply is not biblical. There's no way in the scriptures to support that. By nature, we are born, listen to this, by nature, we are born at enmity with God. That's what the Bible teaches us, that we are born not being neutral, that we are born being enemies of God, that we are born being those who are at, 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 
uh, who are despising of the gospel and have no interest at all in what is holy and righteous and just. That's where we are by nature. And again, that's what the Bible clearly teaches, that we are spiritually dead, all born by ordinary generation. I say that because Christ was not born by ordinary generation, but all born by ordinary generation. Sin and Adam fell in him, and are therefore under God's wrath and curse. And again, by nature, we are at odds with the God who has created us. There is no desire for the gospel. There is no understanding of the gospel. There is no interest in spiritual things, not true spiritual things at all. And so again, 1 Corinthians 12, 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. They are foolishness to him. Talk to somebody that you know is not converted about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Talk to them about the wonders of Jesus, the things that he did, the miracles that he accomplished, the fact that he was truly God and truly man. And see how they respond to that. Talk to them about, you know, you're in sin here by rejecting the gospel and you're bound for hell. You need to understand that and see how they respond to it. It is a fact that by nature there's no interest in spiritual things at all. They are folly to the unregenerate man. They're foolishness to the unregenerate man. I've told you before, and I think it needs to be said again, that it's not mean that they are atheists. There are many false religions in the world. Because by nature we are religious people, and they will worship something. But there is no desire, there is no tendency toward the God of redemption unless there is grace that is applied to the life of the believer. These things are spiritually discerned, therefore the spiritually dead have no desire for them, nor understanding of them. So left unto himself, the sinner will never come to God. If we are left alone, we will never come to a saving position of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Never. It's not a possibility. It is an absolute certainty that we will never come to God apart from grace. And we saw last week that following the path of this world, Paul said that's exactly what he was doing. Following the path of the world, following the broad path that leads to destruction. That's where the apostle Paul was. Now, he was a very religious man. Though he was an individual who was a moralist, by keeping the Ten Commandments, he thought perfectly, but he did not, because no one can. But they were following the course of this, the leader, the ruler of this heir, that is Satan. And I love these words here. And I, I went back and read, which I did not read last week. Uh, I read uh, the book by Sinclair Ferguson as commentary on the book of Ephesians. The only problem with the book is way too short, in my opinion. He could have written so much more. But it's really, really a rich, rich book. Uh, he said that the phrase, but God is reminiscent of the turning points of the personal correspondence or the laments of the psalmist, as they say, but God. And read Psalm 41. They were surrounded by enemies who hate him. They want to destroy him. And then in verse 10, he says this, but you, O Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up, for I will repay them. But you, O Lord. And so there's that contrast uh, of hopelessness. But then God intervening, but with you, O oh Lord, there's hope. With you, there is kindness. With you, there is support. And we understand as believers, at least we should understand with the believers, that support is always there. And when we are called upon to deal with something that we thought we could never, ever deal with, in humility, turn to God and know God's support and know God's help in times of complete disaster as far as we are concerned. And he will make himself known to us. We will feel that strength and support that comes to us from our great God. And he saves us according to his loving kindness. Look, 
You're not lovable before God. You're not lovable. There's nothing that would cause God to desire to be good to you because of who you are. But in spite of that, this is the gospel. In spite of that, he loves us. In spite of your hardness of heart, in spite of your lust for the world, in spite of you despising holiness and righteousness, in spite of all of these things, he loved us anyway. And he saved you because of his love. And so there it is. God saves his people according to his loving kindness toward us. His love. Yes, I was in the store the other day. And this person had a growth on their face. And... Uh, it was one of those things that it was such the size of it and the color of it made it difficult to look at this person without staring. It just made it difficult. You multiply that to the nth degree, that's what we were to God. There was nothing lovely about us, nothing attractive about us. And yet God saved us. And he did so because he loved us again, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And concerning this love of God, it is eternal. He has loved us from eternity. The Lord appeared to him from afar, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you to myself in loving kindness. Jeremiah 31, 3. It is unmerited. The love of God is, it is eternal. It is unmerited. It is efficacious. It is constant. And it is one that should give us courage. Courage to be strong for the gospel of Christ and courage to be comforted in times of woe. Listen to this. God will never love you any less than he does today. He's never loved you any more. He will never love you any less from the time you have been brought to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There was love before that, but now we see in a relationship where he is our father. And that we are his children through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He will never, ever love you any less, no matter what you do. No matter how miserably you fail, no matter how good you may be, he will never love you any less. He will never love you any more. So God's love, again, is eternal, unmerited, efficacious, constant. And it is shows great compassion on the part of our great God. And so all this is founded upon God's love for his people, apart from anything that they have done or ever will do. The second thing is our salvation is a salvation of victory. Salvation of grace, it is a salvation of victory. If you would please again look at Ephesians and the second chapter. Uh, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ so that in the ages to come, he might show his immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness to us in Christ Jesus. He has raised us up, you read here in the text. He made us alive together with Christ. That refers to the resurrection of Jesus. So that on the day that Christ was raised from the dead, there was a monumental movement, if you will, in the courts of heaven. Where we were able now to be declared not guilty. 
because we have been justified, see, through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he would be able to declare us that these are not guilty. And they would send Satan, the accuser, accusing us again and again and again. But they were not guilty, you see. Because of the great work of the Lord Jesus Christ, he has raised us with him in his resurrection. The implication of that is that we are united to Christ. Full atonement has been made for your sins. And so the text in the Old Testament that says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed your transgressions from you. It's a plural there in the text, from us. That they're completely gone. That you remember in Pilgrim's Progress. When he came to the cross, and there, that burden, that sense of guilt and condemnation fell off his back and rolled down the hill. Well, there we are, the burden taken away. There, the relationship is now one of a loving father to a child. And his love is perfect. It's not lacking. There's no misunderstanding with God. There are no surprises to our great father, none whatsoever. And it is that we are united to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are seated with him in heaven. He goes on to tell us that. And listen to this. Death, in the absolute sense of the word, will never touch you. Death, in the absolute sense of the word, will never touch you. I read one time, and I may have told you this before. I don't apologize because it's a good statement. Death has become the servant of the Christian. Because the moment we die, we go into glory. So Christ said to the thief next to him on the cross, Today you shall be with me in paradise. Don't question it. Don't doubt it. Today, he says to the man, you shall be with me in paradise in glory. Near Paul in Second Corinthians 4 and chapter 5 also, I desire to depart and be with Christ. That's not the Corinthians text. We have a home in the heavens made without hands, eternal in the heavens, he says there. We hold this treasure in clays of jar. What's the treasure? The gospel. What's the clay? You. You're the clay. Very quickly broken. You know, I was talking, uh, I was thinking about uh, the diseases that, uh, you know, you can't even see these little bugs that infate our bodies. You can't see them. But you can feel them. You certainly tell when they're there. These little microscopic things can invade us and they can, in short order, kill us. It's an amazing thing that they can happen. But nonetheless, we don't have to be worried or afraid of anything because they can't kill us in the absolute sense of the word. That should be a great comfort to you. It should not only be a comfort as you can contemplate your own death, but at the grave of loved ones, parents and friends who you know were Christians, grandparents that you knew were Christians. We don't have to doubt where they are. We know that they're in glory with Christ. And the souls of men made perfect according to what was written in the book of Hebrews. So we are made alive with the Lord Jesus Christ through his resurrection. We are participants of that. Atonement has been made. And we are seated with him in the heavenly places, he says here. Again, the connection is one that is very, very close. I cannot remember who said it, but one uh, commentator said this. When someone is very, very sick, people say they have one foot in the grave. He says, both of our feet and our heads are in heaven. 
that has something that is meaning. The Bible doesn't just say words. We are seated with Christ in heaven. We have an authority already that is ours through Christ. And we look forward to the day of the fullness of that great union being realized in our own personal lives. And also, as rightly, the Bible describes us as citizens of heaven. Philippians 3, 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven. I'm going to finish it. And from it we will await the Savior, Christ Jesus our Lord, who will transform our lower body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. We are citizens of heaven. We don't live like it. We live like this is it. It's all we have. And there's nothing better to come, we see. But that simply is not true. That's a lie from the evil one. Our citizenship is in heaven where Christ is. And we are exiles here. We are sojourners here in this world. And it makes no sense at all to treasure the things of this life more than the things to come. Yeah, we do. Again and again, we find ourselves doing that. We are so wrapped up into this world that we fail to open up our eyes to see how short this is. I'm 37 years old. I got a smile from a couple. I'm 68 years old. I'm going to live, live another 100 years. Not really. I don't want to live. I don't know. Uh, never mind. It has gone quickly. Unbelievably fast. Our lives here are but a blip on the radar. Here for a moment and then gone. And yet we live as if we're going to be here forever. And we're not. We live as if this is all there is. And it's not. As a matter of fact, the best of our days here do not compare to what shall be experienced by us in glory. I've said it before, the best is yet to come. By far the best of our experiences are yet to come through Christ, being done so for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. How shall we then live, given that we are seated with Christ in glory? Well, for one thing, we make the best use of the graces available to us, do we not? The primary means of grace in the Christian life is sitting under the proclamation of God's word. Primary means of grace. Not the only means of grace, but the primary means of grace is sitting under the proclamation of God's word. That means we should see to it that on the Lord's day we are in worship somewhere. Somewhere. And what an opportunity. Many churches do not have evening services anymore. They don't have them. A few do. We do. And I enjoy coming to evening worship. I love hearing other people preach as well. Charles does a good job. Ken does a good job. Ken preaching tonight. And we not only get to hear him preach, we also get to experience coming to the Lord's table again. It is something that I enjoy. We should not forsake it. So as we think of eternity, as we think of uh, attaining that, we live a life suitable uh, to that life to, uh, to that goal. And again, exercising, uh, taking advantage of the means of grace that are given to us, a constant use of the means of grace whereby we grow in the knowledge of Christ, a constant use and exercise of repentance in our lives, and certainly the common grace of the use of a prayer in our lives as well. In such a state of living that is suited for who you are in the Lord Jesus Christ day by day. The problem is we tempted to sin. 
problem is sometimes we don't want it. The problem is that we become so wrapped up in lawlessness that we would really rather not bother with repentance today. You know what you have to something that is absolutely essential for repentance in the life of anyone. Humility. Anybody, you have to be humble in order to confess, Lord, I was wrong. Or to go to someone else and say, I was wrong. What I did was wrong, and I'm sorry. And so we pray for conviction of sins in our life, that God may open our eyes. Now, (laughs) people think that getting angry and driving is not a, a sin. I beg to differ. It is a sin. Some people go nuts, nuts, nuts on the freeway, try to shoot one another. That's crazy. You can't tell me that's not a sin. It is. And to get so put out with people as to get so angry. Listen, some people can't drive. That's just the way it is. They can't drive. You should expect people to drive poorly on the freeway because not everyone's a good driver. And look, you, see, you see this all the time, right? Look at the phone. You know, even doing this. Look at the phone. No wonder people can't drive. I paid attention. I was going to uh, Presbytery one time with uh, Toby. He's a, a deaf minister in our denomination. He's now up in Oregon, I think, pastoring the church in Oregon. He would steer with his knee, hold his phone, and text while driving down Interstate 10. We're going over to Beaumont for a Presbytery meeting. I was upset. I said something to him. What are you doing? He said that he could do that. He said he, because he couldn't hear. He was better at doing this because he couldn't hear. It didn't make any sense at all to me. But he would do that. He would do that. I thought it was a very unwise thing to do. But he was successful. He didn't get killed on the way over there and made it home safely as well. I love Toby and wish and pray the best for him in his ministry there. Um, so faith is the means whereby we come to this relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. By faith he have been saved, we read in the scriptures. It's the instrument of faith. <clears throat> and it is anonymous. It is from the Greek word pistuo, to believe, I believe. So it is synonymous. Faith is synonymous with uh, believe. Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The assurance of things hoped for. What is that? Well, the resurrection of the dead. Uh, being in heaven with Christ and the people of God. The conviction of things not seen. Like what? Well, like God. And again, like heaven itself. John eight twenty four. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe I am he, you will die in your sins. There it is. The necessity of exercising faith in Christ Jesus for salvation. Unless you repent, Jesus said, unless you believe in me, you will die in your sins. You've got to read this first. I read it in Sunday school this morning. From John uh, in the 11th chapter where Jesus uh, has purposely let Lazarus die. Uh, and, you know, he's scolded by Lazarus' sister. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. And listen to this. He's talking to Martha. He says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And he says this, do you believe this? He confronts her. Do you believe this? From Jesus, do you believe this? The answer that you give to this question is the most important answer you'll ever give to any question that is asked of you. Do you believe this? Do you believe that through Jesus Christ you have beaten sin and death? Do you believe that? 
Do you believe his words here? I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me shall never die. Do you believe that? Because there's the hope that we have resting upon our great Savior. For that which has come. The last thing very quickly then is our salvation is certain. It is certainly going to come to pass. He expresses it here in the text so well. Um, that uh, for the believer, that in the age to come, he will show us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This is speaking of the consummation of the ages, when the dead will be raised in perishable read in the Scriptures. That's all, all because of Jesus. All because of the work that Christ did on our behalf, the Lord Jesus. He will show his greatness and kindness to us in the world to come. These are future blessings that are ours in the Lord Jesus Christ, not realized yet by us, but yet for certain to be experienced by us in our lives, showing the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us through the Lord Jesus Christ in the ages to come. We've got to take that clock down back there. So he made us alive. He raised us up. He seated us with him. We already share in the triumph of the Lord Jesus Christ that is ours through him and through him alone. So rightly does the world lose its luster. Rightly does the world lose its luster for those who were Christians, right? You recognize all these things, you hear all these things. Do you believe them? Do you believe that he's going to show us immeasurable greatness in the world to come? Things that you can't imagine? Things that you could never comprehend? And yet God's going to do them for you in the age to come? And the glories he goes to him that he may show you that the world can see what, great, what a great God we have. That we who are undeserving, who deserve to be in hell, this God has saved us. This God has not simply saved us. He has great things in store for us. And as he exercises those things, it's going to show his immeasurable, the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And so all glory goes to the Savior. All glory goes to the one who has redeemed us and guaranteed us. Now how this very quickly. The certainty of our redemption. What's it based upon? Can you say with great confidence, I know I will be in heaven. I know it is all going to come to pass as God said it was going to be. Well, for one thing, it is based upon God's everlasting love. Your hope for tomorrow, your hope for eternity, your hope for heaven is based upon God's everlasting love. It doesn't diminish. It is based upon the everlasting merits of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has redeemed you from the wrath and curse of God. It is based upon the everlasting covenant. We God swore to Abraham. And so throughout the different administrations of the covenant, the covenant that is sealed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is sealed by this as well. God does not change his mind. God loved him from eternity past. He's not going to say, Tim, I've changed my mind about you. I just don't love you anymore. That's not going to happen. That is not going to happen. People get that way. People say that, you know. I don't know. I don't love you anymore. Not sure why. Just don't. 
People are fickle, are they not? A veneer of affection expressed by so many. And yet our God does not change his mind. And our redemption is certain and settled in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the question for you this morning is, will you be a participant of these great blessings? We have to ask yourself the one question, who is Jesus Christ to you? Who is he? Is he the one presented to you in the Bible? The one who came, who lived a life for you, who died for you, who was raised for you, and who is the only hope in this world and the next? Do you believe that? When Jesus said to her, Martha, do you believe this? Do you believe the gospel? Do you believe what I'm telling you? Do you believe the gospel? Do you believe what Jesus said? And if you don't, then you're one of those who stand condemned before God, and the path for you is the broad path to destruction on the road to hell. But for those who do believe, what great things God has in store for us. What great things. And then we look forward to the reality of those things happening. And each day that passes gets us closer to that day. Closer and closer every day that we live. Let's pray.